No, these are not special props. Someone misconstrued it when I did it this morning at 8 o'clock. But the doctor said, uh, it will be important upon you to elevate your leg. So there we have it. Once again, it seems like I, I find a way of finding the passages that are just so lovely, effervescent, so caring. Hate your mother, hate your brother, hate your sister. What is this about? The caveat, or at least the key to the whole scripture, is the very first words. A large crowd was gathered. Now, Jesus was a phenomenon. He attracted a lot of attention. And people who weren't doing anything that weekend heard he was in town and would stop on by. Other people who had sort of experienced him in the past thought, well, this is really cool. Let's go see him again. Maybe we can learn some more. But were they literally there to become disciples like the haggard few who were his disciples that were with him always? I say not. These were the people that saw a good thing and sort of took advantage of it. They had an opportunity to see some, something big going on and they decided to join the bandwagon. The interesting part about this particular gospel is it's not so atypical of us, even our Christian heritage. I dare say that a lot of us get caught up in being Christians when it's convenient, when it's easy. But doing Christianity and being Christ's disciples in the difficult times and the hard times, that's not easy. This is exactly what Jesus is trying to point out to these crowds. That if you are going to be my disciples, you've got to take it the hard way, the difficult way. You will have people turn their backs on you because they're going to look at you as being strange, Crazy. And spending a lot of time with this Christ thing that they don't quite get or understand. And yet it is, in fact, our calling to be his disciples. To follow him. To be patient in our faith. To come to worship like today. To offer our prayers. Offer our confession offer awareness of how small sometimes we feel we are. To be affirmed by God, giving love, patience, and hope. So while this gospel seems to be very angry and messy, it's reality. There's a lot of us, like I said, that find it easy to tag on to the end of the events. I know that myself. But the critical thing is that we need to persist 
in doing our Christian discipleship, stewardship, and service diligently, daily in our lives. I'm not saying this as though I can do this. You have to hear me. I struggle with this daily. What is the Christian thing to do when someone has treated you so totally disrespectful that you're right to be angry? What do you do when someone has ridiculed you, made fun of you in front of others, and embarrassed you and felt shame? What is the Christian response to that? I've introduced my friend before, and I will again, Abud Sam, from a priest from Western New York. It's funny, too, because he's Syrian. And he knew and talked about the struggles of Judaism and Islam and the assault on the Christians long, long time before we heard it in the press. But Father Sam had this uncanny way of finding a situation and giving a response that I thought was utterly crazy. But it was utterly filled with compassion, love, and the discipleship of God and Jesus Christ. I once, and I probably have said this a number of times, but the thing that really disturbed me about Father Sam is I felt a sense of competition that I should be more like him. And I knew that I couldn't. But he did get me because when before he'd stop and go to the altar area, I knew there was a significant pause. I wondered about that. And I thought, gosh, you know, seminary, they're supposed to train you with all the little prayers and little nods and everything else. What happened? I didn't get the clue. I I wasn't, the memo wasn't sent to me. So after all my embarrassment about wondering diligently what's going on, it took me about six months, and I finally said, okay, I've had it. Abood, what happens when you go to the altar? Do you stop? It's significant enough that I know there's a prayer there, and I would like to know it. Oh, it's not a prayer. It's a reminder. Thank you, Lord, that you work in spite of me. The person had a sense of humility that was unbelievable. And he was also the one that when something occurred, he would do the most uncanny thing. But he always saw Christ as the focus, which I envy and have tried for a long time, try to be more like. He was the one that would set up a table for dining, and when I was invited to the house, there was always an extra plate because someone might come. 
He made his own pita bread, which became a business. Father Sam's Syrian bread. If you're ever in Buffalo, New York, get it fresh. It's wonderful. His family did not agree because it was a family recipe. Anyway, Father Sam would sit there and he'd break off the bread and hand it around the table so that everyone was connected like we are at the Eucharist here by all receiving the body of Christ. There it was a family tradition that everyone taking that bread was now a full-bodied member of the table. There are small things that we can do. We, have a, we had a great gift here. David Gilmore, who is in fact reflective of so much compassion, so much giving, and so much simple, direct Christian care. I remember sometimes I used to be envious of David because he would do things that were really unbelievable. But it was never about David. It was either about Gaia or the other things he was choosing to serve. So as we become Christians and disciples, we have to commit ourselves to giving up everything. To living in God's love in such a way that we are aware when the little things happen in our life that Jesus' presence and love is there. That we can turn a situation which has railed up anger and resentment in us to a situation where we suddenly realize that person was hurting and needed our touch and our care. I think it's important that it was such a difficult gospel for us, at least for me. Because it does remind me of the call to be legitimate disciples of Christ. 